love, love, love that song. What a great one. They're all good, though. Uh, there is an announcement in the bulletin that uh, I want to draw your attention to because there's an amendment. <laughs> uh, I speak on the back of the bulletin and then make a special announcement about an opportunity on August 10th to join together with some other churches in our community. Uh, those churches are pastored by men that I regularly pray with. And they're listed there in the back of the bulletin so you can kind of get a sense of who those folks are. And Jim Brown here at Monterey Baptist is having a, a church-wide gathering that he's invited us to join them with in, along with these other churches and other pastors. And, um, and I do want you to, to, to uh, be a part of that if you can. However, <clears throat> it just so happens to be, as I was told uh, this weekend, that that's our Joyland weekend as well. <laughs> so I'm not going to mess that up. And if Joyland is what you intend to do, then go to Joyland. But some of you need an excuse not to go to Joyland. <laughs> I have provided that for you as well. In all honesty, if that is something that you want to participate in with, with them, uh, there is a sign-up on their overleaf because they will be providing food for those who attend. So if you would like to be a part of that, then please indicate that on the overleaf. If you want to go to Joyland, then please do that as well. So we'll give you couple of options on August the 10th, all right? As we get started this morning, I want you to think back to how you viewed life when you were a kid, okay? And I want you to think about some of the ideas that you had, <clears throat> many of those, <clears throat> excuse me, likely propagated by your parents. For example, it's summer. How many of y'all have had any watermelon? Anybody eating watermelon? Of course. Watermelon. Love it. Now, what do your parents tell you if you swallow, will happen if you swallow a watermelon seed? You grow a watermelon in your tummy, right? That's pretty disturbing. You're saying, Abby's saying, no, that's not true. You're right. <clears throat> but that's what they tell you, all right? Another thing that they tell you that I think is a little more disturbing than that is what happens when you chew, gu uh, chew gum and then swallow it. Did your parents tell you anything about that? My parents said it makes your insides stick together. Okay, so now kept me from swallowing gum, but then I worked in the hospital for 15 years, and I'm here to tell you, kids, that it never once did a doctor say, okay, we've got another one. This kid swallowed gum. Let's get to the operating room stat. We've got to get this stuff cleaned up. Okay, it didn't happen. So don't swallow your gum, but if you do, I don't think it's going to stick your insides together. Okay? It's just the way we kind of think of things, and another one that I can think of is um, what do they tell you when you have the hiccups? Oh, you've got the hiccups. That means you must be growing. What do they tell you when you drink coffee? Coffee will what? Stunt your growth. Okay, so kids, here's what I want you to do with your parents. Ask them, what happens if I have the hiccups and I drink coffee? <laughs> see how they answer that, right? The point is, when we're kids, we see life in a different way. And when you're young, it's okay, it's acceptable, it's just the way it is. But when you have some of those same ideas as an adult, not so good anymore, right? Paul seems to kind of have that same idea in mind. If you would, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I just want to look at this one verse with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Listen to what Paul has to say in regards to this. He says, When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. You see, Paul is making the point that how we talk, how we 
think, how we reason, should change dramatically as we become adults. More specifically, as we become spiritually mature, we should put aside childish thoughts of how life works and grow in the wisdom and understanding of God's original design. And wisdom is actually what teaches us how to to live our lives in accordance with that design. Instead of what looks good in our own eyes and what wisdom we might have apart from Him. See, in our passage this morning, Solomon continues this conversation between a father and a son. And he's going to explain to us that, that those who find wisdom find a reward. That wisdom has a reward for those who seek her. That there is protection for those who trust her. That there is freedom for those who follow her. So that as we grow and mature, wisdom changes the way we see the world. And that's important. Because if that doesn't happen, something's not right. So before we go to the Lord and, or go to the Word and look at His, uh, what God's given us, let's pray together, if you would. Father, we want to set our minds on You this morning. And we realize that it's kind of funny to think about some of the things that we thought of when we were kids. Um, and they're humorous to us now. But not so humorous if those things continue to exist even into adulthood. And the same is true spiritually. There are things that maybe we misunderstood or didn't um, really appreciate real well as a kid, and that needs to change when we're adults. We need to have your wisdom to see life as you intended it to be seen. It should change the way we think, the, the way we reason, the way we live our lives and lead our families and function as a church. So this morning, will you help us... Uh, kind of see things a little differently perhaps, realign our minds and our hearts to be consistent with what you intend as we pursue wisdom, specifically wisdom personified in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Guide us in that understanding this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, go ahead and go to Proverbs chapter 3. We'll pick up where we left off last in verse 13. So Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13, just read along with me. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding. For its profit is better than the profit of silver, and its gain than fine gold. It's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are... Are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are those who hold her fast. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By His knowledge, the deeps were broken up. The skies drip with dew. As we think about this particular passage this morning, I want us to begin with those last two verses. Let me read them again. Verse 19. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By His knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies dripped with dew. Now, as you hear those verses, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this. What came before God? Before there was God, there was what? Nothing. So, out of nothing, God created everything. Scripture actually says that 
He was before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Trees, birds, fish, mountains, rivers, valleys, you, me. It's all His idea. He brought everything into existence according to His good and perfect plan. But here's another question I want to ask you. How exactly did He know to do all that? What was the the source of His creative design? Well, verse 19 actually answers that question. It says, By wisdom God founded the earth. By understanding He established the heavens. So God created all things and designed them to work in a certain way according to His infinite wisdom and His perfect understanding. From the majestic mountains to the tiniest flower, all creation is a work of God's hand according to His infinite wisdom. And I just want us to stop for just a minute and just consider a little bit of what that creative wisdom looks like. And, and to do that, let's talk about rain. Okay, That's something that's near and dear to us here in West Texas. And so I want us to go back to where that process begins before it actually falls on the crops here in, in uh, our neck of the woods. It starts in the ocean, where the sun heats the ocean water and causes it to evaporate. That essentially is a process in which water stops being water for a little bit so that it can go up instead of down. Okay? So water rises to the sky, and when it does, it forms what? Clouds. And in those clouds, a process is taking place. And one of those things that happens is that those clouds actually take the salt out of the water. Because if salt water were to fall on your crops, it would kill everything. So the clouds go through this process of purifying the water that has risen to the sky. And as it does, little small drops of water begin to form around microscopic pieces of sand. That water that has risen from the ocean, ascended to the sky formed clouds, purified water, now moves hundreds of miles in the air, carrying literally billions of pounds of water. In fact, if one inch of rain fell on one square mile of farmland, so that's a section, so if one inch of rain fell on one square mile of farmland, it would be about 28 cubic feet of water, which is about 2 million gallons or 1.6 billion gallons. Pounds. Can you imagine? So think about this. Billions of pounds of water ascend from the earth, form in the sky, move hundreds of miles across the earth to fall onto the crops with the tap of a raindrop. Isn't that amazing? It's all a part of how God designed it to work. But let's move from a raindrop to a teardrop, because it's equally as amazing. We all know that teardrops are what causes our eyes to be lubricated. There's actually a a thin layer of oil in every teardrop that keeps water in your eye from evaporating. And that's important, because that water on your eyes is what allows you to have clarity in your vision, which is why when you can't really see something, you kind of blink your eyes. What you're doing is you're refreshing the, the tears in your eyes that help you see clearly. In fact, how many of you have ever started crying when you're cutting onions? Did that happen to anybody? You know why? Well, let me tell you. 
what happens when you're cutting onions actually is, is that a chemical's released. And that chemical, when it comes in contact with your eye, turns into sulfuric acid. Really, it's true. And, and your eyes have the ability to render that sulfuric acid completely harmless. Now, it stings a little bit, doesn't it? But that process is keeping you from going blind. Those teardrops are actually filled with all kinds of of antibiotics and antiviral agents that mankind can't even come close to matching. And every second of every day, they are keeping your vision clear and precise, just as God intended it to be. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? One other thing about tears, and you may know this to be true, if you've ever been sad and cried and thought, that actually kind of feels a little better. There's a reason for that. Because those hormones and chemicals that, that form in your body because of stress, guess how they're released? In high, high concentration through your tears. And that's why when you hold that in, it doesn't feel so good. That's the way God created the body to function. And we could go on and on and on. We're just scratching the surface. We're talking about raindrops and teardrops. But in even these things, we can see the miraculous beauty of God's design. Deep complexity in apparent simplicity. Here's the point. God understands how all life and creation is supposed to work because it was His idea in the first place. And this is where I believe we see the biggest miracle of all. Don't miss this. The God who created this miraculous beauty according to His perfect design has made that wisdom by which those things came into being available to you. That's the greatest miracle of all. In fact, if you want to live within the beauty of God's design, you must learn to walk according to the wisdom of God. That's why Solomon says in the beginning of our passage that he who finds wisdom finds that which profits them more than silver or gold. That's more precious than jewels. That's more incredible than you could ever desire. Anything. Nothing compares to this. That's why. Because it's the same wisdom that brought things into being that now helps you understand how to live within the beauty of their design. Which, as a side note, is also why sin ultimately brings death. Because sin is the willful rejection of the wisdom that God has given us that was intended to bring life. So if you reject wisdom, you reject life. Verse 18, if you'll look at that, actually says that wisdom is like a tree of life. And I want us to think about that. Where have you heard about the tree of life in the Bible? Really, two places, right? The very first book and the very last book, Genesis and Revelation. You remember what was significant about the tree of life? You may remember that Adam and Eve existing in the garden could eat of that tree of life as much as they wanted to. Gave them permission to eat of the fruit of the tree of life until they sinned. And then I want you to just listen. You don't need to turn there. Just listen to what God says about what happened after that time. 
Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Because that's the tree he ate from, right? And now, listen, he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden. So why was God no longer willing to let Adam and Eve eat from the tree of life? What changed? Their sin, right? Adam and Eve sinned. And so to eat from the tree of life in that condition of sin would mean that they would live eternally separated from a relationship with God. So what did God do? He cast them out of the garden ultimately for their protection. Because he knew all along what was going to happen. He had a plan before all creation, Scripture says, to provide a way for that relationship that sin would destroy to be restored. And that plan was fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It was his sacrifice that God had always intended to restore the relationship that sin destroyed. See, the wisdom of God is a tree of life precisely because it leads you to Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in Him will have what? Eternal life. That's wisdom's reward. Eternal life. Like the tree of life. For those who have faith in Christ, wisdom personified. But there's more. Look at verse 21. It says, My son, let them not depart from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your ways, your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you'll not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will, not, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your feet, your foot from being caught. Once you find wisdom, Solomon says, continue to follow her. Once again, Solomon is talking about wearing wisdom like a necklace. He said that previously. We've looked at that before. It's that idea of wearing something that's always with you. It brings beauty to the life that you live. Because even though you're protected from the penalty of sin through faith in Jesus Christ, the reality is you're still susceptible to the temptation of sin that is alive and well in our world today. You see, wisdom is what keeps you from falling in sin's trap when you follow her. It helps you walk securely. That's what verse 23 says. It helps you walk securely. It keeps you from stumbling. It reminds me of the passage in 1 Corinthians 10.13 that says, No temptation has come upon you except what is common to man. Because God is faithful and just not to allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with every temptation, He provides a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Walking in wisdom is what helps you see the way of escape. It's what prevents you from falling into sin's trap. And I want us to think about how exactly that works. And to do that, let me describe it this way. My good friend, Carrie Gilbert, is a professor at the Health Sciences Center in 
During the summer, he has the privilege of teaching gross anatomy. Now, that class is by far the most incredible class I've ever taken in my life. I consider it a privilege to, to be able to teach that class. And I know Carrie does as well. Because it's so incredible to see the design of the human body in such close detail. To look at how the muscles function how uh, the, the supply of the blood vessels, the, the intervention of the nervous system, and how all these things work together according to a purposeful plan. That's one class that ultimately revolutionized the practice of physical therapy for me when I was doing that. That one class changed the way I saw everything. This course, as you might expect, is a gold standard for all medical students, anybody who's going to go and practice medicine. Because can you imagine going to a physician who needs to do some kind of surgical repair in your body, but he has no clue on how it was supposed to work in the first place? I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to a doctor who's guessing. I want him to know. Don't you? It's that same idea. Because even the smallest mistakes can have a life-altering effect. And so we want to know what that original design is supposed to look like and then match what we do in our treatment, in surgery, or whatever the case may be. But God not only created our bodies to work in a certain way, I'm convinced He created our lives to work in a certain way as well. Let me tell you what I mean. You see, He understands how certain life decisions can bring great joy, or bring deep pain. Things that will satisfy our soul and then things that just leave us feeling empty. He created you and me with a purpose. He's not making this up as He goes. He wants you to see the beauty of what He designed life to be when you put your faith and trust in Him to have the, the fulfillment and the enjoyment of the relationships that He created. He wants you to see the beauty of what He built into the marriage relationship. He wants you to be encouraged and strengthened by the commitment of friendships, also His idea. He wants you to be held strong within the loving bond of family, including church family, again, His idea. Created them, designed them. Ultimately, He wants you to find peace and security that can only be found through a relationship with Him. Because God never intended for you to figure this out on your own. He gave you His Son to reveal His goodness and to show you the way into a relationship with Him. He gave you His Word like being in that anatomy class. You, when you study God's Word, have the opportunity to see the great detail of God's design in all of its miraculous beauty. It should be just as awe-inspiring as you appreciate what He created for your benefit and for His glory. And if you follow Him, if you live according to this design, this passage tells us that He will protect you. 
that He will keep you from falling into sin's trap. Verse 26 says, when the Lord is your confidence, in other words, when He is the one you trust, He is faithful to keep your foot from being caught. In other words, He will protect you. Walking in fellowship with God will protect you. And it will protect the relationships around you that He created as well. And I want you to see what that looks like in verse 27. It says, Do not withhold good from those whom it is due. When is your power to do it? Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come back, or, or tomorrow I will, uh, and tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you today, essentially. You see, wisdom ultimately gives you the freedom to live life for someone other than yourself. You see, sin leads to selfishness, where my life is centered around what's best for me. But wisdom leads to humility, where now I'm given the freedom to live in a way that's best for you. To consider your needs as more important than my own. It's a freedom that flows out of that confidence in the Lord that He just talked about. Because when I'm secure in my relationship with Him, I am free in my relationship with others. We see in verse 27 how the Father wisely instructs His Son to do good to others when He has the opportunity to do so. He says, don't tell them, "Ah, give me a day or so to think about it, come back tomorrow and I'll, I'll tell you what I've come to conclude. Because let's be honest, when you and I make a statement like that, what typically happens over the next 24 hours? We usually convince ourselves why they probably don't deserve it in the first place, or maybe why we are the ones who deserve it because we earned it after all. There's an ancient proverb that reflects this attitude. It says, what comes from someone's mouth is not in their hands. (laughs) In other words, talk is cheap. But I want you to notice how confidence in the Lord changes things. How it gives you the freedom to care for the needs of others is more important than your own. And I, wanna, I want you to think about the Good Samaritan here. okay? Because that is intended to help us see this principle. Why did the Levite and the priest cross on the other side of the man who lay wounded in the road? Think back to that parable. Why did they do that? If you'll remember, they were protecting themselves. They were coming from Jerusalem down to the cities in which they lived. They had been purified by their religious devotion. And to deal with this man would risk that purity. It would make them unclean. And so they passed on the other side. Jesus uses this parable to help us understand that when we have been cleansed, By Him, we have been given the freedom to love like Him. Which means it's a love without boundary, without conditions, without hesitation. You don't have to protect yourself because the blood of Christ has washed you clean and you're protected by Him. So that means you can give yourself freely to those who have need, those opportunities that God places before you that you, without hesitation, without condition, without boundary, can give yourself to. And I believe He's designed it so that when we do that, we're the ones that actually receive the blessing 
when we become a blessing to someone else. I think that same security that allows us to do good for others also keeps us from doing harm to others. We see that in the next couple of verses. Look at 29. It says, Do not devise harm against your neighbor when he lives in security beside you. Do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. Here the father describes a neighbor who lives in security next to his son. That means to me that he trusts him. He doesn't have any worries. He's living securely next to his son. And when that trust exists, the father says, do not contend without cause. When that neighbor has done you no wrong. Again, I I think this is another form of of self-protection. To contend without cause is to be quick to judge another person's intentions. To respond emotionally based on assumptions. Quick to contend is what he's communicating. And let me ask you this. When that happens, when you respond based on assumptions and those assumptions are wrong, what happens to that relationship? Does anything change when you betray their trust that they had in you living securely next to you? You better believe it does. But when I'm secure in the Lord, I'm not easily offended by the actions of others. I'm not so inclined to hold grudges. And here's why. Because my self-worth is not based in what they say or in what they do because my identity is and my self-worth is in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't depend on others to feel good about myself. I depend on who I am in God's eyes. And that's where I find my security. That's what gives me the freedom. As far as it depends on me, is what Paul says, to live at peace with all men. I think that's what gives James the ability to say, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, Mike Hill once told me, and I believe it follows this same thought, learn to have the hide of a rhino and the heart of a dove. See, the security I have in my relationship with Christ is what gives me the freedom to protect people's trust by not being so quick to make judgments, to take offense, in a way that harms those relationships by betraying that trust. I'm more inclined to forgive than to fight. You see the difference? And it all depends on where you find your security. In the remaining verses, I think the Father then goes on to teach another lesson. Look at verse 31. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways, for the crooked man is an abomination to the Lord but he is intimate with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. The father is teaching the son not to envy men of violence, not to be jealous of someone who seems to live without any consequence of sin. The idea of growing weary by doing good when you see those who are doing bad always on top, always seeming to to get ahead. His counsel is to trust in the righteous judgment of God. Find security in that. 
To believe in God's blessing. To rely on God's grace. If you would, turn over to Romans chapter 12. And I want to look at what Paul has to say that's specifically related to this proverb. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. In this passage, this is what Paul says. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. In so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, when you trust in God's righteous judgment, it prevents you from taking revenge into your own hands. You wisely live in the understanding that in the end, God will make things right. And until then... I don't have to take that responsibility upon myself. And if that's the confidence that I have in God, then I can actually, as this verse says, love my enemies. Pray for those who persecute me. Instead of giving them what they deserve, I'm actually able to give them the kindness that they don't deserve. Because I understand that bringing judgment upon someone else is not in my job description. God says, you're free from that obligation when you trust me because vengeance belongs to the Lord. Following God's design gives you freedom. gives you protection. It gives you the reward of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. As we finish up this morning, I want you to just... Stop and consider for a moment as you think back on what we've looked at in this passage. And I want you to consider how meaningless this father's wise counsel would be outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Just think about that. Even if I had good intentions and and tried to follow these very good principles that are listed in this passage... How frustrating would it be to try to do this in my own strength? To lean on my own understanding? To rely on my own wisdom? This doesn't make sense from my perspective. It only makes sense from His. Because this wouldn't just be frustrating. It would be impossible. God is the Creator of all things. And He designed life to work in a certain way outside of a relationship with Him, we cannot figure this out on our own. Trying to navigate life without the guidance of God's Word, without the the work of His Spirit in your heart, is like walking blindfolded through a minefield. You're just asking for disaster. So remember, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom, right? Right? So that worshipful submission to God is where it starts. And I believe that humble obedience as you put your confidence and trust in Him is how it continues. So put your confidence in the Lord. He will protect you. He will lead you according to His good and perfect will. 
There's one thing I want you to do this week by way of application. And let me speak specifically to parents and then I'll speak to everyone at large. But parents, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a conversation this week with your kids. Okay, just start a discussion during dinner. Hopefully you're all there together. And when you're there together, I want you to tell them about a time where you feel certain the Lord was leading and guiding your way. Okay? I want you to tell them maybe about a passage of Scripture that kind of brought clarity and and comfort during that time and maybe one that you continue to rely on to this day. I want you to help your kids see how this is lived out in real life. Tell them what it looks like. Okay? Just have that conversation. If you're brave, you might even tell them what it looks like when you choose your own way. And in that, you can tell them the redemptive story of how God forgives, like He did with the prodigal son, when you came back to put your trust in Him. Tell them your story. Let them see. Don't let this die between these two leather covers. Let it be lived out and tell them what it looks like, okay? But for that matter, this applies to all of us. Because if we believe this is true, how many of you believe what we talked about this morning is true? Raise your hand. Okay, pretty much everyone here. What this said was that what we believe is true is more precious than the profit of silver or gold. That it's more precious than jewels. More than anything we could desire is what it says. Now, if you believe that's true, and if that's what you've put your trust in, why in the world would you not tell people about it? Why wouldn't you want people to know about what difference this has made in your life and how good God's design is when we trust in Him? How faithful He is when we fail to forgive us? How redemptive His love is in our life? That's what's precious. And that's the story we need to tell. So parents, tell your kids. Everyone, tell those around you. It's not worth keeping it inside. Right? You need to, it's worth telling people about it. With that in mind, I want to close this in prayer. And Patty Brazel, I want you to come forward if you could. And I want us to uh, take some time as we close in prayer. Patty has uh, gone through the welcome class and wants to be a part of our church family. Uh, Patty, I truly believe, understands the gift of of the design of the church body and what that means to live within that design and the beauty and wonder of being blessed by that when we trust in the Lord. And so, Patty, we're so thrilled that that's a commitment that you've made and we commit ourselves to you as well in that same regard. So let me pray for us and if you would like to, please come introduce yourself to Patty if you don't know her and and, uh, welcome her as a part of our church family. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word, for the clarity of its description, for the beauty of your design. Forgive us, Lord, for going our own way, for in arrogance, thinking that we can figure this out on our own, and for the mess we create when we do that. But how great is your love and grace that even then, when we return to you, when we put our trust and confidence in you, you lead us in a way that keeps us from stumbling, from falling into the trap of sin. You provide a way out, and wisdom helps us see that way of escape so that we can endure it. Father, we have something that is more precious than silver or gold. The wisdom by which you created the world as we know it 
is available to us to live by so that we can experience the beauty of how you designed it in the first place. So help us just trust that, to to come to you and believe that and to to base our life on that. Father, we want to be a part of a, a church family who's committed to those things, part of families within the church family who are committed to those things. Thank you for Patty and for her willingness to be a part of this body, for the sister in Christ that she is, and for the desire that we share with her to live in the beauty of your design of this body, each member placed here specifically for the purpose of fulfilling what you created us for in the first place, to display the wisdom of God to the uttermost parts of the world through the precious gift of salvation and faith through Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.